0: I left home at seventeen, wasn't much there to live.
1: up, everybody? This is Sean Arnold. You're listening to Too Much Information. Welcome back if you listened to the first one. Welcome if you've never listened to this nonsense before. (laughs) Uh, It's been a little bit of time since I did the first one. I just wanted to explain why. Um, I was using some software and some other stuff, trying to do everything real simple, and I had recorded one of these with the guests we're going to have today. And, uh, I just didn't like the way it sounded. The audio didn't come out the way I wanted. And, uh, you know, I just decided if I was going to do it, I need to do it. So I went out and bought some gear. Um, and then of course I'm a little bit of a moron. So it took me some time to try to figure it out. Um, and I finally got it up and running, running. So hopefully from an audio standpoint, this one is going to sound a lot better. Um, this is episode two of the podcast. Uh, joining me tonight is one of my absolute favorite people in the world, uh, We have been friends for a long time. Um, He's the guy that I tried to talk to the first time, but I screwed the audio up. So, I appreciate him coming back for round two. But he is a musician. He's extremely talented. Um, uh, You know, plays live, has recorded a zillion albums. Um, Smart guy, and also a middle Georgia guy. So, you know, I love him. So, everybody, welcome. Scott Little. What's up, Scott? What's up? Man, thanks for coming back again after my... uh, Failed attempt the first time around.
0: <laughs> Man, uh, no problem. I understand uh, what a perfectionist you are.
1: No, I don't, see, the thing is, I don't even know if I'm much of a perfectionist, but, I mean, it just, it just didn't. You couldn't understand. You You can understand me fine, but you're way more interesting. So I figured if we were going to have it one way or the <laughs> other, we were going to have it one way or the other, I needed you to be the one that had the, uh, if your audio was good and mine wasn't so good, I could have run with it.
0: I'll, t- I'll take your word for it <laughs> yeah so
1: um, it's kind of crazy though when you think about like um I'm, this is what I'm gonna go get right into so um, I went out and bought a mixer and for those of you that don't know what that is you've probably seen on TV or something like there's huge boards at concerts where all the cables are coming out of it and that's where the microphones and everything plugs into so doing that allows me to do a lot of things and you know get the audio to where I want it and all that sort of stuff and so I bought one of those and what was crazy is even when I was playing music, I was never like a gear guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, th- like the other thing is people in music know this. There are people that, certain musicians that, I we call them gearheads, where like, you know, if a new pedal comes out, they got to have it. If some contraption comes out, they got to buy it. I was never that guy. But I'm not going to lie to you, man. Since I bought this thing and started playing with it, I bet I've been to Guitar Center like nine times just in there going, mm, I wonder if I could buy this little compressor. <laughs> <laughs> and put it on there like are you a gear dude I'm
0: probably if somebody who knows me would argue because I have a lot of it <laughs> that I am but I'm not like I'm a I'm I'm I'm, I'm very much the Ronco of gear I'm set it and forget <laughs> it um I have a pedal board and I'm not a guy that's always changing pedals and yeah there's some pedals on my board I've, I've had for a long time and I've uh you know, maybe I discovered a, a new overdrive that is that I do like a little better than say one I, I've used for the last six years. Which is true. Um I recently replaced a, a an overdrive pedal a, a full tone overdrive pedal with something else and um you know, and that's cool and my pedal board will stay that way for a long time. I I don't, I'm not one that's always tweaking the knobs. I got a setting. I like it there. Um, and uh, I really just leave that stuff. I don't, um, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm too ADD to get into a room and go, oh, well, the room is affecting how, how my, <laughs> uh, my phaser is phasing. Nope. I put the phaser on the same setting uh, and it stays there. And um, I just turn it on and yep, everything works. Let's go.
1: so what about when you when you're writing though like say you're in between like do you are you one of those guys that would be like oh i'm gonna you know what i mean like or i guess this is a better example like sonically right like tone i guess do you so when you write a song like do you have tone in mind when you write the song or are you one of those guys that would wander into a store and go you know what i've never seen this pedal let me plug it in and dial it seven ways and maybe it's you know some way i might want to use that at some point or do you just sort of stick with what you do Man, I, I'm really
0: sticking with what I do. Uh, the, um, I, I don't want her to a store and go. Oh, let me buy that very expensive pedal and take it home and just see what it does. I'm not that. Um, as a writer, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <clears throat> I start with the acoustic guitar and and then before that, I start with a lyric idea. Uh, I'm I'm a lyric first guy, so I, I I get a lyric going and then I find something musically where it lives. And, uh, and then I just, I, I do whatever I do with the music to, to get the lyric done. And then I go back to work on the music, um, uh, about 97% of the time. Um, there are other times where I've came up, I've come up with something musically that I liked a lot on the guitar. I'm like, Ooh, I want to work with that, work around that. And, uh, so I've done that. Um, and recently, uh, some friends of mine out in Los Angeles have a, a, a songwriting team, which is very new to me um the concept of that and i and i get it and i think it's really cool i just have to get out of my own head about it but they they uh, wrote ziggy the title track to ziggy Marty's last record called started up and uh, that grant that i'm one of and wow He's and, and he's and we, we're just great friends from when i lived out there and um uh he you know, it's been bugging me. Hey, man, send me some stuff. And and sort of the premise of what they do is, I send him. Really, I mean, he, he's telling me, I send me riffs, uh, send me anything, whatever you want. You send me whatever you want. And so, it's uh, a little out of out of my out of my box, and uh, which is cool. But uh, so I'll, I'll send him a riff, or and then he'll he'll want he'll he'll put something he'll do. That t- songwriting team will do something, to they'll take that and either run it through the team, or do something, send it back, and then let me do some something more. So the fun thing about that is that it, then it, I do I am in a spot right now, we're diving into pedals and uh, sort of writing from the electric guitar is how I'm approaching that. Uh, I sit, you know, I I'll, I'll, I'll try to write something this sort of guitar riff ish. I'm not much of a riff writer. I don't. I don't don't think. Um, But uh, I'll I'll write some stuff that way and maybe come up with a sound that I that I'll send over and um, see if it taps into something with them. Um, It's 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 very the the difficult part of that is I'm I love 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 to co-write. I love it. Um, uh, I have songs I have to write by myself. They're just I know when I start them this one's for me until I can't. If I can't finish it, then it becomes a co-write. But but there's lots of those. I love the idea. We get in a room. We don't know what we're gonna write about, and we write it, whatever whatever we come up with. And um, and you know, uh, creativity by appointment, so to speak. And that's very. I mean, I love that. And uh, so, but sort of not being in a room, doing it with a songwriting team where I just create. I, I write a piece of something, send it off out into the world to over there by way of the internet and then just wait and see what that's it's neat it's neat the technology allows us to do that but it's it's very different well
1: and it seems like because it you know obviously your stuff that i know that is yours um is obviously very authentic right i mean it's it comes Mm -hmm. from a real place like you know all of your stuff comes for the most part from you know personal places um that seems really inorganic to me like it seems like that would be a pretty big hurdle to get out, right? Because it's like your process when you're doing your stuff is obviously you own the whole process, and it's and it's usually really personal, right?
0: Absolutely, and and, and the uh, inorganic is the absolute perfect word for that. That's how I describe it. It's like man, just takes the organicness out of it. But the guy I'm doing it with, uh, he's a guy named Nikhil Karula, and uh, super talented cat man. Um, I don't know anybody else in the music business that has accomplished what he's accomplished as an independent artist. He's played Bonnaroo two or three times. He's played Summerfest for the last 10 years, 10 plus years. Um, He's played Coachella. I mean, he's done all this incredible stuff that you would never believe that a guy that didn't have an agent and a manager and any of that would do. But he's done it, and he's done it on his own. And so he... You know where, and so he, you know, he come he came up with the songwriting team, and, and has just been he's always been so supportive of me, and and uh, we're such, you know, we're such fans of each other. So anytime he's doing something cool, he always calls me, and you know, find you know finds a way to you know if there's something I can contribute to it, then I I do. I got to play on this uh, a record he did at some studio. I went and played mandolin on a record for him, and that was a lot of fun. And I got to play in historic. You know, studio. Uh, it's great, but he, um, but man, he's a, he's an out of the box thinker, and sometimes uh, I'm not, and so it's, I like how he challenges me to, to, to do that. And and you're right, it, this is um, business based writing, I guess, is without without I don't say that to slag the process or to slag the meaning of it or the the sincerity. It's it's sincere in the fact that it's real people creating it. But it's it's there's a certain design element in it that hey you know we we listen to we want to write a pop hit let's let's listen to how pop songs are constructed and go go buy some records of some just real poppy stuff that might not be something I listen to and then let me see how that hits me and how I interpret that and then what it and what it sends what comes from me out of that that I send to them um, and so that's. So that it's still there's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, personality in it from from each of us as writers. But it's, it's designed to be on the business side man. to be success. It's designed for success. You know, that's the, with that in mind. And I think that's uh, it's OK. I, I, you know, the, it's music business, you know, and if you want to do it forever, you better find wow. some success.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I mean I, I love that you're doing that. I, I I think you actually introduced me to him because at one point weren't they coming through Georgia and y'all stopped by my house? Yes, they uh,
0: they they played. Uh, I don't know if you remember the NACA.
1: Yeah. Thing. Oh yes, 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 yes.
0: And he came and he, he showcased for NACA, and uh, so they, they stayed. Uh, um, I think it must stayed at my house a couple of nights, but, um, and then you know got him got him a gig. At, uh, that restaurant we used to play and and uh, played out at um, Hank Barbie's place back when Hank had the saloon. Oh, cool! And uh, um, and then I, I think they yeah I think they did come over to your place.
1: Um, yeah, because I think I still have that guy's business card somewhere. I need to hang on to that. <laughs> yeah,
0: man. It, it, just super cool cat, super cool cat. Um, but uh, so you mentioned
1: so oh I'm sorry go I ahead.
0: Get, I was just saying I didn't mean to get off on a rant on that, but that that is opening up. Uh, my eyes or opening up my, my sensory to a uh, senses to writing on the electric guitar.
1: Yeah. Right. Which is cool. I think, you know, that it, it, I think in any, I think pushing your boundaries in anything, it doesn't have to be music is, uh, is important. Right. Or to, or to get outside of a comfortable place every now and then, you know, or to do something a little different. I think it's good for in whatever business you're in, you know, whatever you do, like try to do stuff a little differently every now and then, because you, you know, I think it, I think when it when you get when some when you're so comfortable with something, you, the tendency is you can get a little sloppy.
0: I, I agree, and for me, I, I, I've never been a guy that was like you've got to really push the boundaries. I, I my thought process was always, uh, I, like I, like as a songwriter, I found a, a, a spot or a process or a niche, whatever you want to call it, that worked for me. That I felt like I'm good at that. Like I'm. What I feel like I'm really good at is writing a story, um, taking or, or writing an experience that, and, and internalizing that, and bringing that out, and putting that back in, and condensing it to three minutes. And I feel like uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm really good at that. I've spent a long time doing it. Um, I don't mind saying that I'm confident about that. And uh, but say to think, um, okay, well, let me be creative. In 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 this other direction that may not be necessarily a, a true story or a direct experience, but maybe I could think about common experiences or 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 situations or, or whatever the case may be. That um, then that's a little different. And um, uh, I, I always I've always been a very heavy I, I feel like a very heavy-handed writer. And I think in pop music, there, there's you know, still some very heavy-handed tunes. Uh, um, case in point, I was having a little uh, Sunday fun day with uh, my fiance, and we were talking for some reason. Oh, we heard uh, uh, heard some uh, music playing in, on the one of the stereos, and uh, oh gosh, we we're I forget where we were at, but the Musac over the.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The department store speakers and um, it was real neat. Um, oh, I know what it was. I'm sorry. We were eating at a local restaurant and they had, I mean, they had you know, like three doors down, and Goo, Goo dolls and all the stuff came on. And I and I and I thought about the song Black Balloon.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was telling her, I was like, you know, um, I said, man, it's incredible. I said, it was a pop hit and it's about heroin. Yeah. You know. I mean, what a heavy-handed tune, <laughs> and, it, and, and it's wrapped up in this bubblegum pop package, you Look, know, so to
1: speak. It, it, that also speaks a lot too to like how people interpret song. You know what I mean? Like what you know, what people hear versus what the artist intended. Um, this is something we talked about on the podcast that that died, that never made it <laughs> to the light of day. But um, it, it reminds me of a funny story of my wedding. Um, so Holly and I were talking about songs that we could potentially dance to. And, you you know, Scott, Scott was in my wedding. um, And also one of the things that was super cool about my wedding, I thought uh, was because I play music, not super well, but I play. And then I know a million people that play and they were all at the wedding. So rather than getting a band or a DJ, some guys that Scott knows, um, a bass player and a drummer, I hired them and they brought all their gear all the gear, and I think Scott brought, you brought some of your gear. and No, that was that was my band. Oh, it was your band. I didn't know, yeah. I, well, I knew Colin, obviously, but I thought the other guy was just a guy that, I didn't know that yeah. was the guy that played bass with you.
0: Yeah, that was, that was Charlie, remember Charlie from Acoustic Workshop.
1: Oh, that's right, that's right. See, this is also, it's hot weddings, you don't remember anything, because everybody knows. <laughs> Cold-ass wedding dog, I didn't remember anything. But um, but what we did is, like, guitar players and singers, like, there were so many people at the wedding, like, rather than having by, we just had people, whoever wanted to just jump up there and play, just play. And it ended up being, like, this rotating, just thing of crazy, which was so much fun. Um, That's probably the thing that stands out to me at my wedding, but anyways... So, our wedding was a little non-traditional, and Holly and I were talking about songs and first dance songs, and Holly and I are both music fans, and we love modern music, and we were talking about some stuff, or not modern music, but more rock and roll, like, you know, it's not like your normal piano, like Bell's Canon in D, and like, stuff like that. We were trying to think of more, you know, contemporary stuff, and Holly goes, (laughs) Holly says, "Um, why don't we do Better Man by Pearl Jam for our first dance? And I said, the domestic violence song? That song is about a woman that is getting, getting, getting beat to death by her, her significant other, and she can't leave, right? Or she feels like she can't leave. But all Holly heard in her mind was, "Can't find a better man." Like I'm in such a good spot. Like I've got this guy. He's so good. I can't find a better man. And yeah. um, I was like, "You need to listen more actively."
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, about that. <laughs>
1: But, right, it's like it's hilarious that people don't – I mean, you know, they probably just think, oh, black balloon. Like, you just got an ice cream cone and somebody handed you a black balloon. It's like, no, 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 there's <laughs> drugs in there. <laughs> don't open it. Yeah, I mean, so that's hilarious. Well, <clears throat> you know, uh, so you and I both know John John Mayer from his time when he was in Atlanta. And um, yeah. that's actually one of the things, you know, this I'm sort of now I'm backtracking back to when you were talking about, you know, there's music and there's the business side of it and all that. But even somebody like John and I remember him, you know, because his first, um, you know, his first, I guess, deal was with Aware, I think, right? Um, Aware well, records. You know,
0: well, you know, uh, yes, it was, and I think, you know, I remember talking to John and right after he sort of gotten his deal, it was in the works, and him saying, "Man, I'm, I'm going with Columbia," and uh, and I think that, you know, I think John had a um, a very organic vision for what he wanted to do. And, um, and you know, I, think, you know, he started there and then, uh, um, and then moved over to Columbia and then, then on to Sony. So he, he climbed up that, uh, the ladder of, of the,
1: um, imprints. Well, and Sony. what the, yeah. And the thing I was talking about though, what you were talking about about the writing process is I remember when he sort of got into it and, um, I got the feeling, and I'm certainly not, this is just my impression of what John Mayer said. I'm not speaking on behalf of John Mayer. That's my disclaimer. Um, yeah, they, they, they attach that to me as well. Um, He, <laughs> you know, I think once it got going, I don't know that he totally was in love with the direction they were taking a lot of this stuff, because obviously that first record was super poppy. And the funny thing is, is, People think of him as a pop artist, and I certainly think that he is. But the reality is, is he's really rooted in blues. He's a ridiculous player. I mean, he's technically very good. Um, He understands music on multiple levels, right? He's not just a, you know, sort of a bubble gummy guy, right? Like, he is a a musician, right? Like, a for real musician. And, um, you know, he didn't love it. And I remember he said this actually to me at one point. He goes, you know what? He goes, though, he said, everything in me says to – to fight this um, but if I give them one and sell five million of them the next one I can do whatever I want right and then you know what I mean effectively it's just like I'll go down this road um, hope it doesn't destroy I guess you know whatever any credibility I might have or whatever but I'm gonna use this as a vehicle because I know if this happens I'll have the freedom to do anything I want. And that's what happened because that's, you know, because the John Mayer trio, like the John Mayer trio stuff, I feel like that's more of what John Mayer probably wants to make, like the kind of records he wants to make or that he has the most fun making. Not that he's not a great pop artist because he is, but you know, sure enough. I mean, you go out and say he didn't sell 5 million. He sold 10 million. I mean, how many of that record, he sold a lot of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, he was, I think he had a really good idea about, you know, I'm going to uh, take this C Ray Vaughn influence and, and the Buddy Guy influence and all that blue stuff he was into and mix it with the Sting influence and, and, and the pop influence that he loved. I, I mean, I just think he had a, a real good head on his shoulders about, um, uh, about what he wanted to do and, and how he's going to get there.
1: So you mentioned Sun Studio earlier. For people that don't know, Uh, sun studios in memphis that was sam phillips joint um million dollar quartet which i think was elvis johnny cash carl perkins and jerry lee lewis right i think that was the four but then like i mean good gravy that joint i mean bb king um uh uh roy orbison um I mean, it's just it's borderline ridiculous. Like everybody that recorded in that place,
0: mm-hmm. you too, did part of rattle and hum there.
1: Yeah, and I think later on you had, you know, because I think, um, uh, you know, it became such a thing that people came, you know, came through. I think Def Leppard recorded a song there. Um, I think Chris Isaac recorded some stuff there. Um, but it's just a it's a legendary studio um and ain't nothing to it so like so so as a musician what was that i mean what was that like like did you did you feel this sounds so like meta which is not normally my deal but like did you feel did you feel it when you got in there
0: yeah man there was a certain you know obviously the the sense of history and i'm you know i'm i'm definitely a nostalgic kind of guy so like I did my I got to do my first record in the old Capricorn studio where where the Allman Brothers yeah, and Marshall Tucker <laughs> Wet Willie and all I mean you're familiar but uh, you know that was a legendary room in in Macon Georgia and and so you know I got to sort of get in there and it's real neat because you're you know I'm standing where my some of my heroes stood and doing what they were doing when they stood there and uh it was the same way for Son man to Sort of be in that room, and they, you know, and you know, there's a microphone. That if you go tour the place as a tourist, you get to check out this one microphone that was, um, they call it, the, you know, the Elvis mic because it was part of the microphone collection when Elvis was there. Um, and Sam, you know, obviously took all that with him when he moved over to an open Memphis Recording. Um, but he uh, donated that microphone you know, to the sun studio museum and Sun studio people. And so it's there. That's a, it it, it was definitely pretty neat to sort of think, you know, wow. I mean, Elvis, I mean, I'm I'm not all goo goo gaga over Elvis Presley. Uh, I recognize his contribution. Um, uh, I reckon, you know, I, I get it. I just never really been a big fan. He's got bits and pieces that I dig. um, but there were times he got a little loungy you know know, i I don't know but my thing i I was more into the grittier uh thing upside of music but um but i recognize his contribution and 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 uh i applaud it and um i respect it and it it was proud to to get to be in that be in that moment in that room and and in being creative and uh, just like he did, and just like Jerry Lee Lewis, and just like obviously Johnny Cash. I mean, goodness, you know, I got to, I got to meet Johnny when I was a kid. No way. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that, that that was real neat.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's. I remember the time. I, I mean, I got to meet Willie Nelson. That's probably the closest I ever got to meeting somebody one of that magnitude, like that. You know, order.
0: almost met. You know, I almost met Willie Nelson.
1: <laughs> yeah. What What happened there?
0: Um, because if you recall, I believe you gave me two tickets
1: Oh, to the
0: Last of a Dime Breed tour. Remember that? Yep. And, uh, uh, so I went and, um, Willie at the end of the show would walk d- across the stage and sign things for the people in the front row. Yeah. And so, man, I was like, it's Willie. I gotta, <laughs> you know, I, I try not to fangirl, you know, and. Uh, I do too, weird.
1: but sometimes I'd, you just can't help it.
0: I know, it. and he's a legend and whatnot, um, and I'm. I'm, I'm he is. He's, he's part of the soundtrack of, of my childhood, and um, so I ran down there, and he's walking across the stage. The guy standing next to me is the, where he stopped.
1: Oh no! Direction. <laughs> wow! Okay. Oh my gosh! Came real close. Well, my Willie story is a little better. Um I was with some label guys and they knew I was a Willie fan but but they didn't We were going out one night in Atlanta doing something and they were like we got a surprise for you and I was like okay and they didn't tell me where we were going and so we end up driving down to the Four Seasons in Atlanta um which non Atlanta people is a really nice hotel <laughs> Um I guess they have Four Seasons everywhere though probably right Um and, uh, but then that doesn't mean anything either, right? Like it could just be like, oh, we're just going to the bar at the Four Seasons, you know, to for what I did not know. So we end up getting an elevator, go all the way to the top. We walk in to a room, and sitting in a room by himself is Willie Effing Nelson, <laughs> smoking a joint, like. And everybody sits down, and I guess one of the label guys knew Willie from, you know, and the only seat left, they left me the seat next to Willie. (laughs) And, like, I walked over, and Willie just looks up at me and just holds the joint up in the air. And I'm like, you can't say no to Willie. No, you can't. I mean, you just can't. I mean, I'm not a big weed guy, not that I've never done it, but I was like, I'm going to tell you, this this is advice for anybody. If you ever find yourself in a circumstance where you are with Willie Nelson and he gives you his joint, hit that shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know that happened to me in Los Angeles.
1: Oh, really? With
0: Tony, uh, Tone Low. No. Yeah, I, I hate weed. It's never,
1: never been my thing. That's also one of your finest impressions, if I recall. Tone
0: yeah. Low. <laughs> uh, it's something about, you know, uh, about that night, I couldn't do it prior to that night, but um, you know, I'd gotten to know uh, Tony and his girlfriend when I lived out there, and um, we were at a Christmas party um, in my buddy's house, and um, Tony and I, you know, Tony was kind of a wallflower, and I and I am too, um, you know, and, and he and I just found each other, propping up the same wall in the room, and uh, we just got to talking and. Um, you yeah, know about whatever whatever he's like yo man I need to find someone to go smoke this joint and uh so I was like man I'm in, I got a van downstairs and, you know, welcome. of
1: course you did
0: <laughs> so we go downstairs in my van and and, and, and and his girlfriend knew I didn't smoke you know so we get in the van and he said, "So you know, he's got this back, this, like a backwoods cigar. It's all, you know, yeah. And the tobacco is replaced. So he's got that, and he fires it up, and um. So I'm like, it's ton low. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I guess I'm just gonna have to, just so I, can, just so I could be in this moment right now with a great story to tell, right? Absolutely. So, um, it, it was." So he, he he hit it and he went to pass it and I was reaching for it. And, uh, Lucy said, uh, no, "Honey, I, um, you might want to hit mine because uh, I know you don't." <laughs> so she had this little tiny tiny little glass bowl, you know, and I was like, <laughs> "Thank you," <laughs> you know, kind of. And then, um, and then Tony's like, "You know what I'm saying, Scott? This right here set your buzz off." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Cool." And I reached over and grabbed it, man. <laughs> that may not that may or may not have been my finest decision ever. <laughs> well, um, I've never ever been
1: that hot. Well, as you might imagine, uh, what Willie handed me was not of the low quality variety. No. And I was lit up like the Macy's Christmas tree <laughs> for what felt like four or five hours. Um. But I was so the funny thing is, is I was so Jack just in awe about the whole situation. Because here's the thing that's crazy too. His guitar, the guitar, trigger, yeah, he's got it. Oh yeah. And he was just sitting there with it, and it, and like we all hit this J, and then he didn't really say anything. He just started playing his guitar. I'm sitting on a couch with Willie and trigger just hit Willie's J and Willie just starts playing a song. Like I probably could have just killed myself right there. Like that would have been, that would have been going out on about as, about as top <laughs> as you can go. But we hung out man for like 45 minutes, an hour and That's he just right. played some tunes and, you know, talked a little bit, but like he's the most, but, it, but we talked about, you know, one thing we talked about again on the podcast that never made it, um, you know, man, do people do stuff because they want to do it or because they have to? And I don't just know—I don't know how much of time of Willie day, Willie's day goes by where he's not thinking about music.
0: Yeah, yeah, it it it, it, it is his DNA, and uh, um, I mean, uh, I, you know the the you know sort of talking about success, the the one you know, I always dreamed of success, but not for shallow reasons. You know, I always uh, you know, my goal to be su- in the music business was I want to be able to do it forever. Yeah. I want to be able to sustain myself in the music business until I don't want to, and you know, or until I physically can't do it. And, you know, that, that, that would have been the, that and, and using it for philanthropy would, were always the two reasons I always thought, man, I, I sure wish I was famous, you know, um, <laughs> Uh, people call me often to come, I, we played this benefit, play that benefit. And, uh, I was like, man, it's just a shame. My name can't raise y'all any money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can provide hopefully some, some, some fair musical entertainment for you, but I'm not going to draw some money to the table. So I've, I've always, I mean, I've, i found myself wishing I was famous for that reason. And, um, and then obviously I, I just want to be able to make music forever.
1: Yeah, there is something to be said for being able to contribute, though. I mean, that's one. So, you know, Holly, my wife, for those of you that aren't aware, is a has been a CNN reporter for quite a while, and uh, she does that right. Like she she gets called constantly about hosting or emceeing, you know, charity events, and you know, I mean, that's media people do that a lot, um, and she does a a lot of them more, more, she says yes, more than no. And, but for her, you know, she feels like, you know, she's been afforded an opportunity to do something she loves and you know, and uh, she feels like that's, you know, that's how she gives back. I mean, that's sort of like the equivalent of someone volunteering, you know what I mean? At, at somewhere or doing something and it's, and it, you know, I feel like you build some, it don't do much for your real bank account, but it, it's good for the, it's good for your sole bank account. You know, no, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree. You know, the, um, just, you
0: know, it just feels good to do things, do good, do the, do good things for the right reasons. You know,
1: how would you classify y- your music? Like, I think country, but then I think Americana. Um, I think you've dipped your toe in the, in the sort of more rocky pop waters from time to time. Um, I mean not that I And again I'm not saying that like Because another thing I know people hate is like I don't want to classify it But like for people that don't know you That might listen to this like You're kind of a country Americana act right So we, we call ourselves Honky Tonk
0: Americana And that's that's due to our, our You know the influence that we love that, that country music from the You know late 70s or early 80s Maybe that the, the Hank Juniors Or Waylon Jennings and that outlaw Country era uh, Mixed with uh, collectively in the in the band, we love like the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers and um, and whatnot and uh, but the Marshall Tucker, all that and Leonard Skinner, of course. Um, so you know we have a love for the common core about all those groups is the song. You know it was always you know the the thing about jam bands is totally lost on me about these modern jam bands. I just don't hear songs like the almond brothers started with just a great song. You think about a song like please call home. I mean, it's, you know, it's just a killer lyric and it's sung and played well on a record and then live, they would expand it. A whipping post would probably be a better example. You know, it was just a, what, three, four, five minute song on record. And live it was 33 minutes on the, on the uh, Fillmore East version. So they started with something great and then expanded it as opposed to, well, our plan is just, we're just going to jam all the time and have some words thrown in.
1: (laughs) Well, and the thing, the thing is too, just for interject for a second is that, that really though, again, I think that speaks to their awareness because like women pose, for example, um, because you're really serving two masters right there. Like the, the, the core, the core master, the core thing is the song and the song's phenomenal and they made the song and it was a traditional song but then a live performance is something completely different, right? Like the mm-hmm. recorded song and a live song are not the same thing. Um, and that's a band like that. That's like, we have this killer song, but then we're going to give you something in a live show. Cause it's different. It's, it's and, we,
0: diff- and because they love to play.
1: And yeah. They and all, they're all badasses. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, and we have that with our version of our country music. Um, uh, I say country because if, I think if, if, so if I got a record deal tomorrow, they're going to market me to country radio. Um, and, I'm, and I'm good with that. That's where probably the core of what we do is. But we love to play. So um, we're going to bring that influence to the table too, which I think really pushes us over into sort of the Americana thing. And um, and I love the storytelling songs of, of James Taylor and, and Jim Croce and, um, you know, Graham Parsons had that. And um, Greg Allman, did that very well and um obviously ronnie Zandt from leonard skinner i mean all these guys told these great stories and uh so um you know we love that and we love to play so um whatever box that puts us in we're okay with it um you know we uh you know i guess we we marked ourselves as basically a a country-ish band and uh, (laughs) um Uh, then, then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, if you ask me, I think that country these days is country ish.
0: Well, well, a lot of I'm the country to, that
1: the, they I'm play on the radio say, is country ish.
0: I'm scared to say country now because you know there's a lot of that country sounds like Def Leppard.
1: <laughs>
0: and no slight to Def Leppard at all. There's no slight to to, to that really country music I man. It's just uh, I, I just don't want people to when I when I ask me what kind of music you play and I will say country, I don't want them to think. Florida Georgia Line, uh, uh or Luke sh- Bryan. Well, that's, sure. <laughs>
1: that's, that's
0: not that's not the country music that I make, and um, uh, and and those guys do what they do, and they do it well, and they found a lot of success in it, and um, so God bless them. You know, I mean, I don't eat, um, you know, I don't eat steak, and just because, and just because uh, I don't like steak doesn't mean I need to talk you into not liking steak. Um, so whatever, you know, whatever teacher on these, I, I, I know some of the writers behind some of the, some of those hits and, um, those guys aren't phoning it in, <laughs> just, you know, I mean, they're, they're writing those songs. I, and if you don't like country, you know, for, there's a lot of people that slag country music where it is today. Um, and probably me included, um, uh, just because it's, uh, there's a certain, uh, my theory on country music, uh, really, I'm glad this is called too much information because I'll babble my ass off.
1: <laughs> I love it. That's what we're here for.
0: But um, but so here you go. Since, since you asked and didn't want to know, I'm going to tell you. So the thing about country music that bugs me um, with where it is today is, um, and, and we can probably thank Garth Brooks for it, but um, there was um, from Hank Williams Sr. to Garth Brooks, country music. Ebbed and flowed. I mean, it it went, it it did its thing, you know, and it it evolved and it grew and it expanded. And obviously, as as the new crop comes in with, with with some maybe different influences than the old crop, then it it changed a little bit. And but the cool thing was was, from Hank Williams to Garth, there was a certain element of tradition that was present, even as it grew. If you think about a band like Alabama man, they were, they, they, you know, prior to them, most country was just a single act. They came along, they were a band. Mm-hmm. And so they, and Southern rock had, was, it had, was, had fallen to disco at, at the time that they, they hit, they hit about 79, 80. Um, and so they, they had that, that Southern rock thing, you know, kind of, they, if you looked at them, they were at long hair and, beards and a little edgy looking and um and but it was but the music wasn't rock and roll but it still had a little bit of that flavor and and as they grew man they you know when you think a song they had a song called uh she and i and i remember when it came out it was it was very pop country for its time and that was um you know that, that was probably 85 ish 86 maybe so um. You know they pushed the envelope as well, but there was still sonically it all sounded like country. It still sounded sounded like country music, had a pop melody, still sounded like country. Garth Brooks brought a very big pop element, and because that guy just does not think inside of any box, man, that that guy's just he's all over the place, and, and it shows in his success. And um, high five to him for all he's accomplished and. Um, he, he, rewrote wrote a lot of those songs and he's just a, he's just a badass, and and I'm a fan, so I'm not slighting him at all, but you know, he brought a lot of, you know, he, he, he put what he loved about kiss into his live show. <laughs> and that's why his live show is what it is. But, but he still had fiddle. He still had steel guitar. It, it you know, he was playing, if you think about the song rodeo, uh, not rodeo, um, um, Oh gosh, it was it was an Aerosmith song that he rewrote the lyrics to to fit rodeo and and um, uh, oh. but it sounded like country music and so uh, that was super cool and um, so you know through all that you know Garth Brooks was something that my dad like me as a as a as a kid loving the new what was coming out new I loved it. But my dad could still relate to it. It wasn't his old country music, but it was, but it had elements that were appealing for the same reasons that the old stuff was appealing. And now, I just don't feel like, um, you know, my dad would have never gotten into Florida Georgia Line. And the element of tradition and sonic, you know, the sonic elements that make country made country music, country music in my opinion, are kind of gone. You know. Now it sounds more like Def Leppard. And I know why. Well two reasons. Um a lot of the you know, a lot of the, the folks moving to Nashville and writing songs, you know, now we're influenced by Guns N' Roses and Def Leppard and Clint Black and Garth Brooks and Hank Williams Junior and Doctor Dre. And <laughs> sure. I mean You know, I can remember a time when, you know, you still see it, you know, the redneck boys with the big old trucks, you know, you know, they had NWA coming out of the windows, you know, I mean, just, you know, the boundaries of, well, I listen to country music. I don't listen to any other music. All that was going away. And so I think that's led to country music getting where it's at now. And the, uh, so it's not my, you know, it's not my thing, uh, from a production standpoint. But the songs are still good, and the songs are still the songs. And um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't dislike where country music is today for the reasons of the quality of the of the of the song. You know, for me, it's more about the production. That um, and now I think what we're going to see in country music is. Um, it, if you look at, uh, you know, if you go from 1980 to 1995, country music didn't have big swings sonically, you know? I mean, it evolved, but it was a very slow, like, you know, you could, like I said, you know, if you were a country music, you know, you could, you didn't age out of country music back then to to me. And, the and if you were a country music fan at 15 you were going to be a country music fan at 65 and but if you look at the pop world it had these big swings and i remember it with um, you know we had new kids on the block then all of a sudden we got nirvana you know i mean it went from this side of the spectrum to the bipolar opposite you know in the in the and in pop music it seemed to swing back and forth real wide like that and, um, so, um, um, and country music didn't seem to have that until now, you know, now, now it's, yeah, Florida, Georgia line. And then there's a guy like Chris Stapleton or, um, Sturgill Simpson, you know, they're, they're big swings now. And, um, so it's interesting just to,
1: to see that. Well, but, um, that's very diplomatic of you. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Um, well, yeah, I mean, cause I think just a lot of this stuff, shit, I know you do. I know, I know you, you, you know, I, and that, that's not to say that I don't appreciate anybody that's made it or, you know, I can't be like, Hey, good on you for doing that. But I remember the Garthbrook things, I think to your, to your point is a, is for sure an inflection point. And here's how I know now I, I I'm from Cartersville, Georgia. So in high, where I went to high school and that's a fair, I mean, now it's Atlanta's expanded so much. It's almost like part of the city, but it's, it's still, you know, it was country when I was there. I mean, country, yeah. not country music. I mean, it was just out in the country. Oh, yeah, and, it's still uh, out in the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember, you know, my junior, senior year was that Garth Brooks record, and the dance, you know, and all that stuff, right, was was on there. And that song just – people that didn't like country music love that song. Yeah. Right? And so he crossed over, right, as I air crossover. over. Back when, I don't even know if crossover was a word back then. I mean, it just so happened that, you know, it was a thing. And of course, I mean, he sold like 11 billion albums. I mean, I don't know how many, but you know, I, I, is there a bigger, is there a more, he's the biggest selling country artist of all time, right? Like just from an album sold standpoint. I mean. I mean, if somebody said
0: I need an answer on that question right now today, he'd be my first guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, if not, he's in the top. I mean, he's he was enormous. Um, but then, I mean, but this is he, one. Yeah, of he, he he did a thing or two. Yeah, <laughs> once or, once or twice. Um, but this is a thing. Like, and I think this is true, and I get it. And this goes back to what you were talking about earlier about the songwriting. Right there, there's a business side or whatever. But this is what business people are notorious for. This, and I get it, and I'm not faulting them for it. But I think that was the thing that made people like their heads perked up and they're like, well, hang on a second. Like this was always a very culturally attached kind of genre of music, right? Country music, I think was culturally attached, right? Like yeah. it was attached to a certain culture of people, um, the culture of me and you grew up in. And then they were like, wait, this can get outside of that. Well, now they start to try to manipulate, right? the, the construct to where you can start to make more of that because when it breaks out culturally, it means you have more people you can potentially sell to, which is more, which everybody makes more money and it's good for that. So, and, and I don't think Garth Brooks set out to do that. To your point, Garth Brooks just tried things and he wrote amazing songs and, or he, or he performed amazing songs that were written for him. I mean, you know, both. And then, you know, he, he, he blew up and I think it turns into an opportunity. I I think you saw a similar thing in rock and roll because While you had pop and rock, and I think the New Kids and the Nirvana thing, but really, though, what you got to remember is really, (laughs) even inside of rock and roll, if you take pop out of it, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all those bands killed hair metal. Right? Like, that was really the casualty. That was the – so that was the genre snapback, right? Like, when you had Poison and Rat and – you know what I mean, like in, in, in Motley Crue and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, even people in that world were like, oh, this is this kind of glitter, big hair. Like, this is a long way from Aerosmith or um, Led Zeppelin or, you know what I mean, what I would consider like more of the, the, the predecessor rock bands. And so yeah. then the industry snapped, you know, then there were people that snapped back, like from that thing, it was like, well, even though it was, you know, quote unquote alternative or grunge it was rock and roll and it was, and to me, it was a more pure form of rock and roll than like hair was. So, you know, you get part of that and I understand why people in country do it, but I think now that, to your point, this is kind of what you're seeing. You're, you're seeing that with the Chris tabletons you know, I think there are people that are like, hang on a second, you know, this is not, this is not the subclass of country that I, you know what I mean? That's maybe my cup of tea, the Florida Georgia lines, the Luke Bryans, the, that kind of stuff. I'm akin to the more traditional sort of classic country type stuff. And I'm glad you're seeing the Stapletons and the Sturgill Simpsons of the world because, you know, it's okay if you're right, if people like that, but I don't personally like that other stuff. I mean, I'd much rather see the classic type stuff um, or listen you know, to the classics uh, type stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I get it. Um, you know, th- there's obviously you know more money if you can cross over. You know I think I, I think I was told um, one time. Well, first one time I, I worked with a an artist who's pretty huge now, and uh, he, he on his <laughs> first record I, I did a show with him on a you know on that first tour. And,
1: I won't say um, nothing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's that? I won't say no names. <laughs> uh, uh, you probably wouldn't know this name anyway. Oh
1: okay. So, I was thinking um, somebody specific, but maybe I was wrong. I think
0: it's Zach. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Um, but I was, but this, so we were talking and about, the, I was talking with a guy in his band about the record and, you know, and I said something. I said, you know, I never really heard anything of his. But when I, I got on the, when I got on this bill, I went and bought the record. And he's like, yeah, man, what'd you think? And I was like, I think the songs are fantastic. I just hate the production. He goes, He does too. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, you know, and the producer, he says, you know, the producer's not even crazy about it, but he just knows if he wants to stay a producer, this is what he's got to do. And um, so, you know, that's the way it goes. I mean, obviously, you know, he, he was a guy that moved to Nashville, said, I want a record deal, got, got a record deal. And then the vision wasn't his. The vision is the vision of the producer or the labels, you know, and that's the difference in say a guy like me where I write songs and I have a vision for my music, um, where other guys, you know, um, for instance, let's take a Jason Aldine That was a guy that moved to town and then got to work and started networking. And, um, I, I don't think Jason's a big writer. I know, I know he's written, he wrote songs that, you know and I, um, but I don't think being a songwriter I don't think was necessarily his goal um, and uh, or where his talent lied maybe um, but you know his, his goal was I want, I want to be I want to be a, a, a one-on-one entertainer of the year one you know one day how do you do that Well you move to town you go and you shop for a deal and you get a deal and they put you in the studio and um, they make you a record that is uh, viable for that time period and uh and um so um he uh in in the fits the time period of what they're going after and you know do i believe jason had control over how his record sounded no (laughs) um i think i think the business dictated that now is, is that is that um you know is that is that bad no not at all it's just I've never saw my music that way. Um, And so, you know, um, so, I mean, uh, there were a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of people, the the people running that business now are business people where, you know, back in the era that, that, that that I like, uh, Chet Atkins was a a label head. Well, Chet was an artist first, (laughs) you know, so, you know, and, and that, I do that to illustrate sort of the difference in times. And, you know, if you can, um, you know, so, you know, if you can generate a crossover hit, uh, I was told one time, and this number's maybe off, but I was told if you have, if you've got a country hit, I can't rem- I don't remember if it was worth 500 grand per week or just 500 grand Round about five hundred grand if you have a, a country hit. If you have a crossover hit, it jumps to a million.
1: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean,
0: me. I mean that's that, I mean that's big money, and that's the name of the game. And so, thus we have, you know, what is consumer music, which is what's on the radio, and then you have music that um, somebody in the office decides that's not playable on the radio and, and thankfully we have the internet for, to discover the, that
1: music um, well yeah to it, your point i mean because a lot of the a lot of what and, and you know i think a lot of people don't necessarily understand how this all works but um you know a lot a lot of the ways that these guys are making money is via publishing and publishing is effectively the licensing rights for the movie or the movie the music so, you know, when it gets played on movies and TV shows and the radio and, you know, services and stuff, people, the people that, can, that wrote the songs, right, and own the copyrights and that sort of stuff get paid, right, are the ones that get paid. Um, I'm sure in some, you know, a lot of cases they have deals with the performer where they'll get, you know, some piece of that. But for the most part, the songwriters, you know, unless they've gotten into a really bad deal, have the line share um, of the publishing. It's kind of funny you mentioned that because I remember, um, you know, back in the day we played some shows with Matchbox 20 before they broke, you know, when they were just this little band from Orlando. And, uh, then I ran into Rob a few years later after their first record had sold, I'm pretty sure it sold 10 million copies, um, which is just an astronomical number today. I mean, because that's 10 million albums, right? Like not 10 million singles. Um. Right. And uh, I remember him talking about mailbox money because mm-hmm. the checks for the publishing and stuff just show up periodically in the mailbox um, once the services report and all that stuff. And I can tell you and that at that time for Matchbox, we're talking about checks that were in the six to seven figure range.
0: Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous money. I, I tell you what, too, is um, I, I remember uh, – learning that, um, uh, you know, when, when County Crows was having all this success, you know, Adam was making all this money. Um, and, uh, Adam Duritz, for those of y'all don't know County Crows, he's the lead singer. Um, my guess is he's, you know, uh, he's probably the lyric writer for that stuff. Um, so what was happening, he was making more money than the rest of the guys. So, uh, I, I read somewhere or was told through friends in the business that he actually started a publishing company and cut the whole band in on publishing that way. He wasn't rich and they weren't.
1: Yeah. I heard that you know, story. I've heard that story also.
0: They, were, they, you know, the first two years of touring or something and
1: they, they came home and they're,
0: they're, broke, but Adam had all this money and, um, or, or, or more money. And so he split his book. I don't know if it's, the company, or he just chose to split the money, the publishing money with them. But man, I mean, you no, know, I thought it was pretty awesome. I mean,
1: yeah, and there's a lot of people again that don't understand that either. I mean, because the primary songwriter in the band, and I know this for a f I've seen this happen more times than not. Because people always are like, "How could that band have broken up? They were so hot, and they were so..." And there's a lot of reasons why bands break up.
0: Yeah, but uh, but,
1: but there there's, I mean, I, I've heard the story of, you know, the the because the other thing, too, is you hear about people get advances on making a record. Well, publishers get advances as well, right? If someone decides to, you know, if they start a new publishing deal with someone. So, yeah, I've definitely heard those scenarios where, because people don't, you know, really understand how the money works, but the publishers get paid for all the spins and stuff. And you might have a band that's on the road and they contract you to go on tour with some bigger act, you know, so you can get in front of all their fans, but you might have a hit or two on the radio. And, you know, the guys in the band, I mean, I know, this, you know, they're making $150 a week, you know, $200 a week. And then the publishing guy gets a $10,000 check in the mail. And that's an easy, you know, that's an easy way to create dissension. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's easy. And and again, I don't fault the guy that wrote the songs for getting his due, but it's just, it's hard when you have that sort of, you know, when you have that level of separation fiscally, you know? Um, Yeah.
0: Especially it's, if that guy's the lead singer and he's getting so and he's getting all the attention too. Yeah. Well, you got all the girls and all the money. Uh oh, uh Something got to give, bro. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> so before we, I want, I definitely want to get into this too. So just a quick, how, how many records in are you now in your life? Not including this, the one you're working on now. One, two, three, three,
0: four. All right, I have four, plus I have uh, almost two in the can. Um, so I have four re- released. One of them was a short release, uh, and it was like an acoustic thing in between the first full first full band and second full band record. Um, and then uh, there was another full band record. Then I did, I released... This thing you can only get it at shows, but it's called Live at Duggar Mountain. I played on this uh, this great room in, over in Alabama, and uh, it's a it's a it's a recovery mission um, or recovery ministry maybe. Um, it Took an old church and they just have a stage and it uh, they shoot it out, it airs somewhere, and 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 but at the end of it, they give you a multi track recording of the show. So I sell that at shows. And, uh, and then I have a lives, solo acoustic live CD and DVD to be released. Um, I was going to release that. And then I was, I was sort of in the middle of this, the record this almost finished now. And it was a weird record. It's been a weird record. And, um, because we started it, ran into some, some, some sort of some issues, um, and um, and so then the per- we had a personnel change. So then we were like, well, we got, we got this new guy over here and um, he plays these in- other instruments too, so maybe we can go back and rework the old stuff that's already tracked to, to fit this new lineup. Well, then that changed. Um, and so then it was sort of back to, um, just being the three, three of us. And, um, and I was like, man, he's sitting the right batch of songs, you know? And so I got, and, and, and in all that, I got burnt out. I had to take a break. And so I took a break and in that break, I wrote some more songs and, um, sort of got the listening with the material that was already tracked. We had probably I don't know 10 11 12 songs tracked went and tracked another ten and uh and this you know I told I told the engineer and co-producer of this record you know, we were just we just tracked steel guitar and, and I just said man it's taken I, I guess almost six about six years to get this thing done and thank God it did. We have the right, you know, it's the right batch of songs, it's the right players, and it's the it's the right everything. It just took that time for it all to line up, and and I needed the break, man. I'd been doing this for so long, I needed to recharge my batteries and just sort of fall in love with with with, with music. It, you know, the business of it, you know, sort of the when you do it for a living, you start, you know, it's like, well, I got to go out and make a living. Well you know, sometimes you don't feel like it, you know, in a way, and or the, um, especially when it's an emotive thing, like the, the art of of creating music, and, you know, you find yourself playing rooms that you don't, that aren't working for you, but you do it because it pays, pays the money, and you gotta, you know, you gotta make the mortgage, and, um, yeah, I found myself being a slave to my job, you know, to the music, and I just thought, well, i don't want to do that anymore that's not why i got in this business and so i stopped for a while and just wrote some more songs and then kind of came back and found excitement in it again so now we're uh gonna release this record and it's almost done and but in that i did this show that was recorded and videoed i hope i did a show with randall a guy named randall bramlett he's fantastic he uh, played with uh, Steve Winwood. He played with the band called Sea Level, and he's and he has his own solo band, you know, just Randall Bramlett band. And he's unbelievable musician and uh, an unbelievable cat. And uh, I've you know, got I crossed paths with him several times. And so this show was videoed and uh, multi, you know, couple couple angles and multi track. And um, so I had an opportunity to get it, and I did. And it's edited. Ready to go, and I just felt like a lot of those songs are going to be on this new record. I wanted to release the record first, and then let that be a release, sort of like, hey man, here's me and a guitar. If you dig that song, you might dig it like this. Sort of, this is the way it would have sound.
1: It would have sounded when it was written. Um, so I'm sitting on that to release after this record. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, it's it's kind of it's cool for me because I feel like obviously when we've talked. Um, not on a podcast that, um, you're really excited about this one. I really am. Yeah.
0: I've never, um, I've never been, I've always been excited about what I do. Um, never to the level that I would, uh, would go out and say, Sean, this record's the shit. (laughs) You know, I'd be like, Hey man, Here's my new record. I kind of dig it. See if you like it. You know, because I, I never, you know, I'm not really an egomaniac. I don't want to be one. I don't. I don't have a reason to be one. I'm, you know, I'm good at what I do, but am I the best at it? Fuck no. You know, <laughs> um, I just, you know, my abilities only go so far, and I recognize that. And I don't, you know, I think a lot of times I get misconstrued as that because uh, I'm very focused on. Uh, you know, the, the most common thing I get is if I, is, um, I will bitch and, and about production, uh, on a live show. Um, you know, if somebody calls me and wants to do something and, you know, Hey, will you come play this? Great. We only had this much money. Great. Tell me about production. Oh, you got those two speakers? No, no. Well, you got a you got a radio shack microphone and a you know <laughs> or whatever the B fifty two speakers, no thanks. Or, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I branded this recently. I uh, I showed up at a gig with my own guy. You know, I just brought a sound engineer to cover me, and uh, I didn't have a good experience with the, with the venue owner for that reason. Like I don't I don't know if he got his feelings hurt cuz I didn't use his guy or whatever but I'm like, "Man, wait, he was upset you brought an engineer?"
1: Absolutely. Does he He must and, not and yeah, he must don't. not do decent size acts much because uh I mean, once you write, once you start moving up the ladder, everybody's got their own engineer.
0: Yeah, it, well the thing is is in his defense, he he built this event venue and he, he'd never never done uh, he'd never done this before. And um, I'd never walked in there before. So I came prepared to put my best foot forward. I'm, you know, I'm playing the event for a different promoter, so I'm not playing it for the owner of the venue. Um, but I could tell it. I mean, he seemed to put out that I didn't use his guy, like 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 I bruised his ego or something. He never even introduced me. He never even said, Hey, my name's so-and-so. I own the place. He never said, thanks for coming. He never said you suck. He never said anything. And, um, whatever. I mean, it's not the end of the world. I'm, I'm not mad about it, but I have to have control over my product. And that is the most basic simplest way to have that control is, uh, I, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. If I'm, uh, I at least want to, at least want to have that kind of control and I don't want to be at the mercy of somebody who doesn't know my songs or doesn't know uh, what I'm up to. Um, if I can help it, cause then I, I can't put my best foot forward. So um, anyway, I don't want to get off of that. Um, so the, uh, but in sort of, you know, I don't, I, I'm not egotistical about my music. I, I feel like I'm good at what I do. There's a lot of people good at good at good at writing songs and playing and singing them. So I'm just one in a in a lot. But with this record, I feel you know I can say this is a badass record. <laughs> and um and I don't and and if and if somebody goes, man, he's a guy. He's got a little ego about that. Well, you're damn right, I do. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> well, and I can I can and I can actually say that you know in 20 years. And that's why I brought it up. Like you have never, I mean, and you would say that to me, right? Like we're friends, right? I mean, we, you know, you've never come to me and said, dude, this thing is, you know, this record is, is legit. I mean, you know, you've never been sort of, you know, just super outwardly. And this one, it's like, when you talk about it, I can just tell, like, you're just really excited about it. I am, man. I mean,
0: I've got, you know, all, all all the elements were in place, you know, and it's, it's not that with, with the other records, I didn't have good players or I didn't have good engineers. Um, I have a record called living with the truth, man. I I had the best of all of that, you know, in my opinion, there was a, the drummer on that was kind of David Goodstein that I met in LA, man. Um, his feel and his pocket and his ability and his his passion and all that man is incredible, man. He's probably one of the most incredible drummers I'd ever, uh, had the pleasure of of getting to play with and work with and and be friends with at that time. And, um, a guy named John Shaw, who, who plays with a band called, uh, um, DA Dawes, D-A-W-E-S now, I think. I think that's it. Or maybe it was with a band that toured with him. I can't remember. Um, but he, he, but he's, he's a fantastic bass player and, um, Glenn Matulo engineered that Glenn did Mm. the, a handful of Sean Mullins records and John Mayer's independent record and Sugarland's independent record. I mean, he's really good at what he does. And, you know, and, and and with that record, that was a record I had zero vision for it. So I went to Glenn and said, Hey, man, um, I'm giving you all production reigns. And, you know, and I feel like he did a great job. Um, but when I listen to that record, I go, Ah, oh, that's not me. Um, and, uh, but what a great experience to make it. And, and I'm proud of it, but, um, with this record that's coming out now is, I've, I've never had all the elements just come together in the organic sense and be everything there. It just took a long time to get it. But, you know, Colin Blakely, the drummer, man, it's, that guy changed the way I, I approach music, playing in a band with that guy. You know, I was a guy and, and you'll know this is, is guys like you and I that do the hum and strum thing. You know, we have to be all of it. The yeah. drummer, the bass player, you know? And so what I found was happening with, with what I was doing was man, I played everything so fucking fast because you got to, you know, if you're playing in a room full of people and it's just you and a guitar, you gotta, you gotta be full and you gotta keep them moving. So we tend to play things fast, and when I first started playing with Colin, he'd go, "I start something out, and he'd go, go, hold it, hold it.'" <laughs> he'd give me a click. I mean, you want to talk about making music incredibly uncomfortable for me? That guy <laughs> did it. And now, it's it, now it's just my natural thing. He he doesn't have to correct me very often. He he still does, and and so you know. So what a blessing to get to make music with that guy not only because i love him and he's my brother but um that guy really really did a lot for me musically and then you know uh, on half of this record's a guy named charles gaston on bass and you know charlie from the acoustic workshop days i've known charlie a long time and man he he, you know he's a pretty incredible what he does and um you know charlie was a deadhead so man like he really brought that factor to country music and they created something a little unique, I think. And then the other half of this record is with a bass player uh, named Shane Preston, who me and that guy played me tour, toured around together forever, you know, and he was on my very first record and um, love that guy, you know? And, and so what a joy to get to, you know, have that, have him in the making music with us again Is me, you know, he, he's in the touring band as well. And he, so there's a mutual admiration and a love between the, the us, you know, and, and Charlie included in that, and that made it a gel that really was a, a great core. And then um, an, a, another another guy, just you know, he's another brother of mine. I love him and an incredibly talented cat named Rowdy Rowdy Hood, play guitar, and uh, you know, he and I started playing bluegrass music together and we played duos together and um then he's you know he gosh he was fit 15 or 16 when we started we started playing together and then I got him plugged in with a, 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 a little local band and um so he started getting out and playing you know we started out acoustic and then he starts playing electric guitar and just growing like by leaps and bounds and just you know was just, became this incredible player and you know, so he'd come out and play play with me still, um, some. And so I got got him to play on the record. And then um, uh, Mark Cavalli, you know Mark. Yep. Um, old roommate of mine, longtime friend, you know, brother of mine. You know, he did all the organ stuff. And um, the uh, and then we got and then my good friend Cowboy Eddie Long, who played with Hank Jr. for. I think, I think Cowboy told me he played on 24 records. Um, and maybe 17 of them were unique. Uh, and then maybe the other, I guess the rest would be greatest hits types things or something. But, um, he came and was so sweet, came and played steel on this record for me. And, um, just really was this was the secret sauce on it. And, um, I got a final mix of, of a tune today that I'm using for promotional stuff. And, um, I'll send it to you so you can use it on this if you want. But yeah, love to, love to. I'll I'll say it's a final mix. It was. Well, They'll will be harmony parts on it that aren't on it yet, but uh, but I needed something for this show I'm doing in in my hometown, and um, they needed a something to play. So, uh, Rory's so sweet, and and, and to top it off, uh, Rory Kilcullen who's uh, engineering and co producing this uh, with me is, um, just. Uh, fantastic at what he does he's patient and uh i think he gets what we're doing and that's i think when you put all that together that uh between the camaraderie and the mutual admiration and respect and love for all of us as players you know when we get in a room together and start creating and then rory gets it
1: and um man i mean it's just
0: it's kind of hard to top that
1: and yeah, one of the things that I tell people a lot, you know, that people ask me about music from time to time, and, you know, especially sort of the mechanics or the back, you know, like with the behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, I, it's kind of crazy because I always, one of the analogies I use is that it's kind of like the difference between cooking and baking, right? Like, baking is science.
0: Yes, I can't
1: do it. It's math, right? It's
0: I can make cookies. You need, but you
1: know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to make a cake, it's like you need exactly this much flour, exactly this much sugar, exactly this much, right, for it to work. And then if you throw it in and if it's not right, it doesn't work, right? So (laughs) cooking, however, is not science, right? There's more art to cooking. Now, not to say there aren't people that come up with great baking recipes or whatever. I'm talking just the average person. Because you can just throw stuff in, or do a dash of this, or you know, you could be like Juice Dan Wilson back in the day, you know, the old Cajun guy that used to do that cooking, Guess like yeah, Cajun show. You know, he's like just throwing it in, and like that's kind of like, like because you could bake and have the best ingredients in the world, if you don't put them together properly, the end result's going to be shit. It yeah. doesn't matter that every individual ingredient was amazing. Cooking, you can take mediocre ingredients. And if you got a little ingenuity right about you, you can put all that stuff together and make something great. And that's kind of how I describe bands. You know, like you can get a, you can go pick amazing players and stick them in a room together, and there is no guarantee you're going to get anything amazing because there's just there are t- intangibles. There are things that now, do you have a? If you did that experiment twenty times with crap musicians and good musicians, is it more likely that the good or great musicians will turn out something better? Sure. But there's, again, I tell people all the time, like, songs have souls. I mean, I really believe that. And and all the parts of the people that are putting those together have to, you really have to be tuned up. You know what I mean? You've got to be in tune, not only <laughs> in tune really, but in tune philosophically and with what the song needs to be and all that. Or, and that's when I think stuff gets really magical. When, when everybody's comp- just locked in and on the same page.
0: Yeah. The Allman brothers call that hitting the note. And, uh, the, and I think you're totally right. You know, that living with the truth record it was exactly that it was the cake. Um, I called all the best, you know, I, I'd been, I was living in LA and I had this batch of tunes and I, I moved back to Georgia. Um, and, uh, go make this record. And at the time I was like, man, I mean, I've got, I mean, this is the most incredible drummer and this incredible guitar. You know, my buddy Patrick Blanchard played guitar on that. And he, with me, I played some, he played some, and um, he plays with Sean Mullins now. and um, But Clay Cook came and sang on it and um, just had all these, Emily Salyers from the Indigo Girls, she sang on it. And so it had all this incredible ingredients and that's the record that least that people connect with the least. <laughs> um, you know, it just, um, uh, there's something about barbed wire ninja engine blocks, which, uh, it, it, you know, that was the four of us. We played them live and then we came in and played, played the record.
1: And, uh, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, and not everybody can, that's the thing too, is, is it, it just depends on the guys. I mean, it really does.
0: And, and I, and I just think the, the fact that for lack of a better term, that with the guys I listed earlier on this current record, been in bed with them for a long time. And so I know them musically, but I, but we know each other equally as well on a personal level. And so, you know, I mean, Colin Blakely and and Shane Preston, both they. They know what I'm going to do before I do it. I mean, they just we 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 put in enough miles together to to uh, to know that, and I I know where Colin's going to go, bef- you know, before he goes there. And uh, I think when you can get that on record, man, that's uh, that gives it uh, it gives it a vi- an energy and a feeling that you can't get from reading a chart, you know, and uh, so. And I think we, we captured that. Um, and, uh, and with this new record and, you know, maybe that's what's got me so excited about it. I feel like, we'll, who we are and what we're doing really translated, um, on this. And, um, I love the songs and I'm just excited about the songs. And, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot on that record I wrote by myself, but then there's some that I co-wrote and, uh, you know, um, just uh, excited to, to be able to share these songs that somebody else helped me create um, with the world that you know, and go man, you know, look at what this guy's doing too. So um, to share the, share that co-writer's talent is
1: uh, pretty awesome as well. When do you? So when do you think this will be? this will be out there this summer, um, probably sometime,
0: man. Like, I would love to say this year, uh, what I have left, um, there's some vocal stuff. Um, and, it, and this is where Rory, who's engineering, uh, is it, it, it is so good. When we were in there doing steel guitar parts. We were talking, I, I'd already done the final vocal parts on a lot of it. And there were a few tunes that were really new and hadn't been road tested for very long. Um, and, I, and I, I said, so I said, man, I think I'd like to re-sing these couple of tunes. Um, one of them being one that I wrote for my dad before and I sang it, wrote it and sang it before he passed. I'd like to go back and sing it now that he's passed and see if it changes it, the delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and Roy said, I got, I want to know, do you sing better in at night? because I recorded these vocals, you know, during the, you know, we'd start tracking vocals at 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, you know, I mean, singers don't sing at Uh -uh. 10 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I thought, you know, yeah, I mean, that's when I'm used to, I usually sing at night. And so we're going to try that and see if it changes the texture of the, of of some of these vocals. Interesting. You know, so. I thought what a great idea. I, I've never, I've just never thought about that. Um, so I've got a good, we're going to do some of that. I've got uh, some female harmony parts I want to do, uh, have done. So I'm at the mercy of, um, uh, two friends of mine, uh, a girl named Kishana Armstrong and another one named Abby Owens. They're both incredible, incredible singer songwriters in their own right. And there's, both have been so sweet to agree to come and uh, sing on this record for me, and um, and then uh, you know I'll get uh, then I some other harmony parts that'll just be another male.
1: Um, the uh, I know you're going to ask, but I'm not available. Okay, <laughs> um,
0: but uh, my buddy Paul Jackson, he plays in a band called Blackberry Smoke. Um,
1: oh, the little, a little a little band called Blackberry Smoke.
0: Well, he, 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 he was sweet enough he agreed to, to, to come and do that. Because I can't, I mean, I don't sing harmony. I mean, I when I'm in the car and nobody's listening, I can go for it and sometimes get there.
1: I'm the worst.
0: But I'm not a guy that can just go run that
1: track and nail it. And all, these three people that I've named are people that can do that. So, the Brian Wilties of the world, like guys like that, like they oh, can just walk up there and all of a sudden like they just hammer it. Like they can just find it instantly. I can't do it. I can't even find them. I can't even try to find them and find them. Yeah. We'll see. It's fantastic. That dude, like that dude would walk in off the street. You could wake that guy up out of a dead sleep and be like, sing the harmony part of this. He would just nail it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's great, man. I I mean, I'm, I can't wait to hear it. So how, how do, how do people find you? What's the best way to find you? Facebook? Well, I, I tell you, you know, Facebook
0: right now, um, uh, I've been uh, working with a friend of mine. That we're, we're, we just got a new logo done, um, and I think I've got a new little tour poster done, which will, you know, also be probably similar to the album cover. Um, so we're working on the re- on the branding now. Uh, you know, now that we've sort of got something to work with, now we'll move on to, to new websites and um, and all that stuff. So, uh, you know you know if you type in scottlittleband.com you'll get nothing um if you type in scottlittle.com you'll get a very outdated website and uh all that's going to get fixed um and we're going to do a a kickstarter type program to uh um sort of you know maybe try to raise some funds to to release the record you know we got it, it was recorded but um you know website building and um, and some marketing things, you know, I mean, that stuff just takes a lot of money. And if I can, if I can just pre-sell so many records, then, then I can just go ahead and pay for that now. And, um, you know, being an independent artist sucks sometimes, but, yeah. Um, yeah. so we got, got to put that together. And, um, so, you know, all that being said, I, I, mean you know, I hope that we get, get all this done this year.
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, that'd be great. I mean, but Scott, is it just you, Scott Little, or do you still have the Scott Little band? It's just Scott Little, right? Um, On Facebook.
0: No, this record will be the Scott Little band.
1: No, 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 I'm talking about on Facebook if people wanted to look you up. It's, it's but, just, oh, okay. So, the, yeah, they're uh, both up there.
0: If you type Scott Little would just be my personal page. Okay. Uh, which really is where I work from right now. Uh, but we do have a Scott Little band Facebook. How
1: um, much... I'm horrible at social media, ladies and gentlemen, so... Well, I was going to say, though... It's great being on a curve. (laughs) You're kind of not, though. I mean, I I get it, like, keeping up with it because it's hard to do, but you've been doing a lot of Facebook Live and that kind of stuff lately, which I think is great. Like, I, you know, occasionally you'll just jump on and play a song, and then uh, I saw not too long ago, I think, y'all broke down somewhere, and you just decided on the side of the road, like, y'all just pulled out a phone and started playing. And, I mean, I looked down, there was a hundreds of people watching that you guys just on the side of the road i guess waiting for waiting for the cavalry to show up
0: we did man we were on our way to hilton head to play and the fuel pump went out and um so he's pulled over on the interstate and um uh, luckily colin was traveling separate from the rest of us um uh
1: you don't want the drummer in the car anyway
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so he was about 30 minutes behind us he had something to do or something another or, or was running late and wasn't going to get to meet us in time to ride with us. So he said, y'all just go ahead and, and, uh, I'll, I'll meet. And so he came up and so we were able to run to the tuck fried chicken, get a bucket of chicken and some sides. And, uh, and, I mean, I'm not lying. And so we just dropped the tailgate, put the, spread out the chicken like a buffet and um, turned on Facebook live and said, what do you guys want to hear? And, uh, we sat there playing tunes on the side of the road and, um, I mean, we sat out there about eight or nine hours, uh, to, uh, it was about eight or nine hours before I wound up at my house, but, cause I was, uh, quite a few hours away from home, but that's so um,
1: great though. I mean, it's just, that's, that to me is when technology really like rears itself in, in, in its, good, in its best light, right? Like yes, when you can man. do something like that, I mean, it can be such a terrible shitty thing in those circumstances, but, but you know, I got, people, so,
0: much, I got so much mileage out of that video, right?
1: Uh, well it's uh, genius it's brilliant it's just genius well you know i have my moments every now and then (laughs) well i know you've been doing that and i I hope you keep doing it because i know i tune in and i like it but you know i get people to look you up but you know let's talk again when we get closer um to the record um i appreciate you coming on again um yeah, I feel like this one was a lot more babbling than than the last one. Nah, though. man, we're shooting for babbling. I mean, it, that's what we're that's what we're going for. I'm bad.
0: I mean, like I, I'm the word. If you want babble and ramble, I'm I'm your guy. Listen, uh, if, I'm bad. At, I'm you know I'm like, well, you see, I got this really nice guitar. Squirrel, shit, <laughs> I got a new VCR, man. The TV <laughs> show just came on. Oh my gosh, we're cooking in the kitchen. I mean, it's it's terrible. I, got, I mean,
1: I got to break some to you, that man.
0: Beyonce, she has to live with it.
1: <laughs> if people are still listening to this, like forty five minutes in. It doesn't matter if you're babbling. I mean, if, if you if people are still listening to this like a, like 45 minutes in, if your bed doesn't matter, if you're babbling, yeah, it, it, you're right. I mean, right? And like six people are gonna listen to this anyway. So I mean, you know, it's honestly like my mine and your mama's gonna listen to it. Um Mama is not gonna listen. <laughs>
0: I love you, by the way, Mom. <laughs> my, my wa- that, that, that's all she'll listen to it for. You know, because my mom. Well, it's
1: good we put it at the end.
0: <laughs> yes, my mom is so funny because um, you, neither one of my parents were ever, like, come to the show kind of parents. Like, I got um, uh, a real good friend of mine, Travis Denning. His parents go, I mean, like, they get on a plane and go fly to see him play. It's, 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 I mean, it's so awesome, you know. Um, and, uh, I don't slight my parents for it. It just wasn't their scene, you know? Um, and so, you know, obviously I would bring my mom songs and, um, or she'd come see me every now and again. And she, she, she's, I'd play her something and it would be this really, uh, you know, soulful kind of vocal thing or something maybe. And she, Or you know, I just wrote this. I'm so proud of it. She's like, oh, wow. Uh, ooh, that's a little Rocky rolly for me. <laughs> Um, Scott, I really like the pretty ones, you know, like Savannah. <laughs> I'm like, well,
1: it was only four records, five records ago. <laughs> you know, have you listened to anything since then? Probably not. Hey, you can always count on Mama to shoot you straight. Oh, yeah, man. She'll, uh, she, she definitely dials it in. You know, your fiance will listen to the first six, eight minutes of it and then, uh, you know, make fun of the oh, way she, I sound. She's heard
0: <laughs> the whole thing already. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it, but you know, I mean, ironically, um, you know, she listens to my records. Like every now and then I get in the car and it's in, it's in the player. There I'm you like, go. Wow. <laughs> you know, I think that might be the first time I need to marry her.
1: That it should have. You know? Yeah, it should have been. <laughs> Believe me, my wife supports me too. And sometimes I don't, you know, like this pro- So think about this. I'm doing a podcast where I effectively sort of interview people. And my wife is a professional interviewer. That works for CNN, yeah. Like, I mean, all by all accounts, she should just shake her head and be like, "Don't do that."
0: <laughs> but the benchmark in your home is just a little too
1: high. I am, I am easily the least talented person in my house. There is no, <laughs> there is no doubt about that. But man, I, you know, uh, uh, let's talk again when we get closer. You know, c- keep me posted. I, I, I mean, I'm rooting for you. I always have been. Oh, um, yeah, man, for sure. I mean, and, and I know, uh, I, I mean, I, I personally can't wait to listen to it, but, um, you know, keep doing it, man. It's We need we need people out there making, well, hope, making hope, music. Hopefully,
0: you, hopefully you're going to make it to the wedding, and then I can just give you, I hope I have a, a pre-release copy for you to, to, to give you. You. Know,
1: you know I'll be their dog for that. Yeah, it's I'm gonna, gonna be a cold, gonna, ass it's a cold ass wedding, dog. cold ass wedding, dog. We're gonna sneak some Bass music. we gonna it. make some change up in here. <laughs> so, I'm excited yeah. for that too. We have to. We need to just get. I can see you being on this thing pretty regular because me and you both can ramble, and I and I think that makes for fairly entertaining, um, entertaining stuff. So, um, we'll get on again and, and definitely talk about it. Oh, dang! You lady just brought you something to drink. Man, that's full service. <laughs> yeah, she did. this is the second one she brought me so
0: uh um, wow you sound like you're getting a little thirsty honey <laughs> all that damn rambling you're doing
1: yeah well that's all right well man um thanks again um we will talk again soon uh everybody out there i appreciate you all listening if you stuck around um you can find me on twitter at um at sean atl it's s-h-a-w-n-a-t-l uh You're here, but obviously it's tmipod.com, www.tmipod.com. I Um, I appreciate you sticking around. We're going to be doing more of these, and uh, thanks for listening. So until next time, press on.